my Sunday morning series is kind of in concert and harmony. And some of the things that you'll hear me say uh, today, as well as the next few Sundays, uh, are inspired by Kyle Eidelman, who put on, who put together the small group series, Gods at War. Uh, and of course, some of the things that you'll hear uh, are things that God has just laid on my heart. But I want to talk to you and continue to speak to you today about American idols, dethroning modern day idols. Where I want you to turn this morning is to two passages, Exodus 20 and hold your place. And then Ezekiel 14, two e-books uh, is Exodus 20 and Ezekiel 14. We're going to begin in Ezekiel 14. Uh, and I want to just read this to you. We'll, we'll come back to it. But I just want to get, I want you to get the heart of God about idolatry. Uh, and in fact, let me just say this. Modern day idolatry, uh, it's, not, it's not about statues and images. How many of you realize that? What you saw in the little video clip just a few moments ago. Uh, modern day idolatry is not about statues and images and worshiping gold and things like they did then. But how many of you know we have our idols? We're just not old school. Are you with me? Uh, and in fact, let me just tell you this about idolatry and about idols. An idol is anything that takes the place of God on the throne room of your heart. Anything. Everyone say anything. It can be a good thing, right? How many of you know your career can be a really good thing? But how many of you know your career can become an idol? If it becomes more important and it takes its place on the throne room of your life, it becomes an idol in your life. You know, the Bible says God gives us all good things to enjoy. Uh, you know, uh, Josh just got a new car, a semi-new car, and he's enjoying his new car. Uh, it wasn't because he just wanted one. Some, he got rear-ended and front-ended. All, and so, uh, but the Lord blessed him uh, and blesses us. He gives us all good things to enjoy. But how many of you know the things God even gives us can become idols in our life? If we start worshiping, as the Bible says, the creature or the, or the creation more than the creator. Amen. And so... Uh, we need to understand that idolatry is important uh, to address. We've got to address it in our life. And when you look to the Word of God, you'll discover that it's one of the most repeated themes in Scripture. Because from the beginning of time, uh, mankind began to... Because we're natural born worshipers. It's in your spiritual DNA. You are a worshiper. You're going to worship somebody. Bob Dylan had it right. You're going to worship somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. But you're going to worship. That's just how we are. We're natural born worshipers. And so it's real important to get a grip on it. So Ezekiel 14 is going to help us do that. And here's the story. It goes like this in verse 1. Now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, you get it? Here comes the elders and Ezekiel, the prophet, God starts speaking to him and man, it's powerful. It says, son of man, these men have set up their idols in their what? Somebody say hearts. This is what the God is speaking to Ezekiel about the elders of Israel. Uh, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put them uh, and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. You see, an idol will always do that. Should I let myself be inquired of at, uh, by them at all? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, 
Every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts them before him what causes puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet I the Lord will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols. In other words God's going to respond to you based upon the idolatry in your heart. And he goes to say this, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart because they are estranged from me. Everyone say estranged from me. By their what? By their idols. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent, turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations. For anyone of the house of Israel, everyone say anyone. For anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who separates himself from me and sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. Now, let me just stop and say this. What he's describing is somebody who's riding both sides of the fence, somebody who thinks they can worship and have idols in their hearts and still come to church and, and God will just speak to them. You know what God's saying? He said, you come before a prophet. He, God says, I'll interrupt him because I got a word with you. I got, God's in a, in a sense saying, I, I, I have a bone to pick with those who allow that to happen. And they think they can just come to church and listen to the preaching and go home and go, hallelujah. Now that's Pastor Sam's paraphrase. But let's read on and then we'll jump into the, into the text. He goes on for, uh, let's verse eight. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb. I will cut him off from the midst of my people. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I'm going to stop right there. You get the gist. I could keep reading. But how many of you know, that sounds like modern day America. Modern day church. We set up idols. In fact, God's not, he's not talking about statues and images. He's talking about idols in our hearts. And that's where it's all, that's what, what I just said. An idol is anything that takes the place of God on the throne room of your heart. Now, last week we talked about the, me, the, the, the flawed methodology of America in dealing with modern day idols. I would encourage you to get online and go back and listen to that message uh, and just kind of get the context there. You can get it at iTunes. You can go to our website uh, and you can listen. And I gave you four flawed methodology of American mindset uh, of how we deal with our modern day idols. Uh, the first First one I gave is medication. We try to treat the symptoms, but not not the source. How many of you know we're not, we've got to get to the source? You, you know, you can't give yourself cough syrup if you got lung cancer, right? It just doesn't work. Uh, and, and that's the way we do many times with the idols. We just treat the symptoms. We try to treat the fruit instead of the root. How many of you know you got to get to the root? And the most of the issues in life that we struggle with have idolatry at the core. Listen carefully. I'm talking to us this morning. And then we talked about mediation. We try to just kind of play the, the fence, as I said. We try to mediate with things and, and kind of work a deal with our idols. And how many of you know, Jesus said, uh, you can't serve God and money. You can't have, a, you can't have a, a, a negotiation with the idols of our life. And there's only one God. And the third flawed methodology is moderation. You ever heard this? Oh, it's okay. Everything's okay in moderation. I just worship these idols in moderation, just on Friday night. Just ever, ever, once a month, however, just, you know, just an hour or so a day, everything in moderation. You no, know, God says there's one God. 
but we try to be moderate about it. Uh, and, uh, and then we just try this. It's modern-day methodology of dealing with idolatry. We, it's, it's called modification. We just try to modify our behavior. Uh, how many of you know, uh, you know, my dad had a way of modifying my behavior. And I understand that's a principle, but li- listen, when it comes to idolatry, we, we can't just modify our behavior. And, and this is what I said at the end. We got to mortify our behavior. We got to kill it. Everybody say, just got to kill it. Uh, and that's the, re- that's the truth about it. So that was last Sunday. Now this morning, I want to talk to you about the jealousy of God. God is a jealous God. And this is Exodus 20. So if you want to turn back over there, it's, it's what we read uh, last Sunday, the Ten Commandments, the beginning. Uh, in fact, the, the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments deal with idolatry. Here it is. God, God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Somebody say amen. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a what? I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. You see, the Bible teaches in the New Testament that if you don't love him and serve him, you're really on the other side of the fence. There's no moderation. You're either, you're either loving him or hating him. Uh, and, and there's a consequence for the idolatry in our hearts. And God said, I'm going to visit you based, as we read in, in Ezekiel, visit you and deal with you based upon the idolatry in your heart. And so he says, I'm a jealous God. Now, when we think of jealousy, you know, it's hard for me not to go back to seventh grade. You remember those days when just, man, you, you had somebody you liked and, and, and you were jealous because the, you know, the, the head cheerleader got all the good looking guys. You ladies remember that or, or vice versa or whatever. And, and you think about that. And how many of you know, when God says, I'm a jealous God, um, uh, it's a little more to it than that. Now, uh, here's the interesting thing about the, the, the word jealous in the Old, Old Testament. It's translated into two words, jealous and zealous. Everybody say jealous and zealous. Now, when you think about zealous, what do you think? Enthusiasm, passion. Man, he's zealous for a good thing, the Bible says. Man, you, you think about those two. Hey, let's marry those two thoughts. Okay? I'm jealous over the fact that you're loving on another lover. Pardon me, but that's what idolatry is. God's jealous about that because he belongs on the throne room of our heart. Are you with me? And let's marry that word, that thought uh, about, you know, uh, that enthusiastic passion. You remember, hey, you remember when you just fell in love with somebody and man, you were zealous and you could get jealous, right? You remember? Let's marry him. And let me give you a quote from Kyle Eidelman. Here we go. Kyle Eidelman said this uh, about the the word, uh, about this thought. God is jealous. Let's look at this. God is jealous for your heart, not because he is petty or insecure, but because he loves you. Everybody say he loves me. The reason God has such a huge problem with idolatry is that his love for you is all consuming. That's that zeal. And he loves you too much to share you. Everybody say, he loves me too much to share me. Now, our imaginations can get us in trouble, right? 
But I want you to imagine something far-fetched with me for a moment. Are you ready? Imagine with me that you walked into a restaurant last Friday evening and you saw me sitting over in the corner having a romantic candlelight dinner with some other woman other than my wife. It ain't going to happen, but Im- imagine. I had a friend, one of the guys went with us on water wells. He's all big buff and puff. He said, I had to get off Facebook. I said, why? He said, because all my old girlfriends are hitting on me. I said, I ain't had that problem lately. <laughs> In fact, they're defriending me, I think. I don't know. I don't ever had any other girlfriends. But just imagine with me. And you walk up and you go, Pastor Sam. I said, hi, how are you? You say, what are you doing? I said, I'm on a date. And I introduce you to my date and you just get all huffed up. And you, and you say, what about Beverly? You're married to Beverly. And you say, and I, I look at you and say, well, I love her too. You'd just get all hot and bothered and you, you would get all offended and, and depressed and and troubled, and, and you would live just in a quandary in your mind. Now, let's, let's stretch this imagination. Imagine I go home, and my wife meets me at the door. And she says, hi, honey. I say, hi, how are you, sweetheart? And she says, how was your date? Again, again we're really stretching our imagination here. Big time. She'd be hunting for that new pistol I bought. Just, I'm just going to kill you and let God figure it all out. So it's a, we're stretching our imagination. She would never do that. Because she loves me too much to share me. And she would get righteously indignant. Not because she just hacked off, but because her love for me has been offended by another person entering in to this relationship. So with that imagination set aside, whew, let me make this statement. Are you ready? Idolatry is adultery. Everybody say it. Idolatry is adultery. In fact, when you go back to Ezekiel 14.5 and you, and you read that word there where it says we are estranged because of our idolatry, the word estranged in the Hebrew means we are being morally unfaithful. We're committing, estranged means you committed adultery against God. By worshiping other idols. So everyone say it. Idolatry is adultery. It really is. And we've got to embrace the reality of that. And, 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 you know, Beverly would never share me with another because of her intense, her zeal for me and her, her compassion and passion after our relationship. She would not allow herself to, or me and her to be, to, to share in this relationship like I described so wildly, wildly with my imagination. It's just not going to happen. And that's the same way it is with God. 
He said, you will have no other. You shall have no other gods before me. Now that phrase before me doesn't mean ahead of me. It means in my presence. It's not a hierarchy. You know, you have no other gods before me. God's not saying, I just need to be the top God and you can have all these other gods. He says, no, you can have no other gods. In my presence, in our relationship, there are no other gods allowed on the throne room of your heart other than me. Now, interesting thing about the Old Testament. The Old Testament uh, uh, is really, when you think about the Old Testament, it's, a st- it's history. It's the history of an unfaithful people. When you look at the Old Testament, it's just a history of unfaithfulness. You, you watch the children, you read about the children of Israel, they just can't help it. They keep having these idol problems crop up in their life. And it's a history of unfaithfulness. How God continues to be faithful and he continues to, continues to have a, a, a jealous love for the people, but they are continuously unfaithful. They just can't keep it together. They just can't keep from allowing their hearts to be intertwined and intertangled with other gods and other idols in their life. Now, at the close of the Old Testament, God puts a pause button on his interaction with humanity. And for 400 years, God is silent. There's no prophet speaking. There's no Church going on. God's not answering anybody's prayers. He's silent. And in four and 400 years later, the zeal of God, the jealousy of God is made manifest exponentially over his people. And it begins with the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Named John the Baptist, the first prophet in 400 years, coming wearing camel skin and eating bugs and honey. And he said, repent. We read that a little bit ago in Ezekiel. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's he saying? God is showing up again. And he is jealous over his people. His love for them is so great. And we've read it. And the jealousy of God shows up even in the face of idol worship. And we hear him say, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We're talking about some compassion and passion for people. He gave up that which was near and dear to himself so he could reconnect with you and I because he is jealous over you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. He he came in hot pursuit of you. Though we have been entangled with idols in our heart, he's not going to give up. In fact, we sang a song a few moments ago. His love never fails. It never runs out on me. So the jealousy of God, when he said, I am a jealous God, what was he saying? 
I love you too much to share you with anybody else or anything else. That's the jealousy of God. The issue with us today, we live, as Jesus said this, did you know Jesus said about his culture? He said this, he said, we're in the midst of a godless or a sinful and, 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 a, and a adulterous generation. How many of you know that's the way it is today? We live in the middle of an adulterous, idolatrous generation. And you and I, here's what we've got to do. Because of the jealousy of God over us, we got a break, if you will. Uh, you can hit the New Testament. His, it's his story of faithfulness. Amen. How many of you know his story is a faithful story? Even when we were unfaithful, he was what? Faithful. And so this morning, you and I, we have a responsibility because of the jealousy of God to break the spirit of unfaithfulness and adultery and idolatry off our lives. Now, I know what some of you say. I would never be unfaithful to my spouse. Everybody. I'm with you. But how many of you know it goes much deeper than that? It starts a long time before that ever happens. Because did you know what Jesus said? He said, hey, if you just look upon a woman to lust for her after your heart, you've already committed adultery. You've already been idolatrous. And for the sake of being, uh, uh, you know, Jesus, because he was a man, I guess he said that. But how many of you know, women, if you look on a man and lust for him after you heart, in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Boy, it's so quiet in here when they start talking about adultery. But understand something, whether we, I'll never be unfaithful to my spouse. Well, did you know over 50% of people usually are? Uh, but uh, so we're, come on, we got to be honest here. Uh, and it's born out of a spirit of unfaithful, or just unfaithful. It's, a, it's an idol in our life that has to be broken down. And we've got to break this thing. Everybody say, you got to break this thing. And so, hey, whether it's money, power, sex, career, pleasure, hey, whatever your, you know, whatever your fancy, there's an idol out there. That you and I can choose to bow down to. And we've got to break it. And here it is. And, and this is what we need to realize about the idols in our life. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, whoever looks at a woman and lusts after has committed adultery within her heart, it's in his heart. That's where we've got to deal with it in our heart. Everybody say it's in your heart. That's what Kyle said. He said, God, God, uh, uh, he's jealous over your heart. That's the throne room of your life. And the jealousy of God, listen carefully, because God is jealous over us, it demands a response from us. We've got to respond to this. Now, let me ask you another question. Are you still with me? Are you still with me? Here we go. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been poofed? Josh, come here. Oh, Ryan, you're doing real good. Come here. Come here, Ryan. Ryan, you just meet me and you want to shake hands with me. You reach out your hand to shake hands with me and I go... Or you just want to give pastor a big hug and you come up and you want to give me a big hug. (laughs) He just got poofed. You can sit down, right? Have you ever been poofed? Have you, 
Have you ever tried to express your love for somebody and they reject it? You want to express your appreciation. You ever tried to embrace someone and they don't respond back? You know what God is trying to do? He's trying to embrace us with his love. And because of the idolatry in our heart, we resist. We reject. He's getting too close to my idol. Because he wants to love me in my heart. He's jealous. He wants to embrace us. Now, I preach out of the dictionary a lot, pardon me, but it, it, it makes sense sometimes. Embrace. Think of this word. To hold closely. To, to, to hold closely. Last night, Beverly and I were up here praying and we met there, and she'd, I'd been gone for a week, and she'd been gone, so we'd been busy even after she got back. Right there in the middle, we just embraced a little while and prayed together a little bit. We embraced each other. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Pastor loves his wife. <laughs> to hold closely, embrace, to accept willingly, to include as a vital part. You see, God's wanting to embrace us and we respond to his embrace because he's jealous over us. And he showed up 2,000 years ago in the form of his son Jesus, loved us so much he sent his son to die for us. He came and embraced us with his love. That's why we got to deal with these idols in our heart because we're poofing him by, our, by our allowing other lovers into our life. And the spirit of unfaithfulness and idolatry and adultery in our hearts and, and to include as a vital part. See, that's what God wants from us. That's the response he's looking for. You see, whatever you embrace becomes the, the core of who you are. If you really embrace and give give and hold closely your career and your career becomes the focal point of your life it just took the place of a jealous God if you embrace by the actions of your life money and power and success to the detriment of your relationship with God and he gets kicked off the throne of your heart You got an idol and he's jealous. So we've got to respond. How many of you know we need to here? I'm going to give you a righteous response. Here we go. I'm going to give you four things to help us because of the jealousy of God and the zeal of God, his love over us. I'm going to give you four things to begin to embrace. Here we go. Write them down. Don't forget these. Number one, we, 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 we respond righteously to the jealousy of God by embracing the command of God over our life. What did we read in Exodus 20? It's the 10 what? Those aren't outdated, are they? More, pre more, more relevant today than ever. 
And if you want to begin to dethrone the idols in your life and begin to respond to the jealous love and passion God has over you, hey, you've got to embrace to, hey, what's the definition? You've got to embrace, you've got to hold closely in your arms, you've got to accept willingly, enthusiastically, you've got to include or contain it as a vital part in your life, the command of God over your life to have no other gods before him. I'm obeying the command of God. I'm embracing the directive of God over my life. Turn, if you will, quickly to Deuteronomy 6. If you're in Exodus, just keep going. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and and chapter chapter 5 is a rehearsal of the Ten Commandments again. But look in Deuteronomy 6. I really want you to go there, so don't fake me out. Go to Deuteronomy 6 verse 1. It says this. Now, this is the commandment. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the fact that we should have no other gods before him. We should not bow down before them or serve them because he's a jealous God. There it is in verse 9 of chapter 5. He said, now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you today and that your son and your grandson and all that all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged what's he saying he said you've got to embrace this as the core of who you are the command of God over my life concerning idols He said, therefore, hear, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has commanded you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Not in your head. But they got to drop out of your head into your heart. You see, the reason I will never be unfaithful to my wife is not because my head tells me I shouldn't, it's because I love her in my heart. And that's the same way with God. He's jealous over us. And we've got to respond to that by embracing the command of God in our life. In fact, uh, hey, this theme is just over and over throughout Scripture. The New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, gosh, I, I'm just going to slip through this quickly. But verse 13 says, There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above your ability, but will with that temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He's talking about temptation and how God will help us. And then he says, so little children, flee from idolatry. That's a command. 
And oh man, if we had time, we could go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18. Write that down. Because it says this, our bodies, our lives are the temple of God. And basically it says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? None. It's the temple of God, not the temple of money, not the temple of sex, not the temple of of success, not the temple of whatever you and I have started bowing down to in life. Whatever we may have embraced above God the temple of God, our bodies. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Everybody go nada. So we embrace the command of God. If we want to respond to the jealousy of God, we've got to embrace the command of God. And then number two, obviously, we've got to embrace the jealousy of God over our life. His love, his compassion, his zeal over us. He loves us so much. And that's what Deuteronomy 6, 5 says. He said, let me tell you what you do. You got the command of God, but now let me just seal the deal. Verse five, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, not part of your heart, not half of your heart, not in moderation with everything within you. There'll be no other lovers in my heart. I'm loving him with all my heart. I'm responding to his love. I'm not poofing him anymore. I'm loving on him. Hey guys, some of us are kind of macho. Let me tell you, do this guy's a good bit of service just to lose that for a little bit. Fall on our knees, fall on our face. Cry out to God and tell him how much we love him. And say, I'm sorry. I'm I'm embracing your love. I'm not rejecting it. I'm not stiff and resistant to your embrace. I'm embracing you back. He loves us. Jesus picked up on that verse in Deuteronomy 6 and in a number of the Gospels, he just affirmed, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. It's the greatest commandment, he said, with all your strength. Respond to the love and the jealousy of God over our life. Number three. We, gotta, we can break, hey, we can break this thing. Somebody say we can break this thing. We can break these idols off of our life, this, uh, this unfaithful, adulterous mindset that has been instilled within us by the nature of sin. We can break it off of, off of our life by embracing the command of God, by embracing the jealousy of God, and number three, by embracing the sovereignty of God. Everyone say sovereignty of God. And that means he's, there's only one. That's what we've been talking about. We embrace the sovereignty of God. And that's what Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, I believe, says. Or verse 6. Uh, uh, yeah, verse 5. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all. No, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There's only one. Everybody say there's only one. And if you'll embrace that reality, there's only one God in my life. His name is Jehovah. There's no other gods. In fact, I love if you, you don't have, we don't have time, but if you went back to Ezekiel that we read earlier in Ezekiel 14, verse six in the good news Bible, this is really cool. It says, now then tell the Israelites what I, the sovereign Lord am saying. He gave himself, 
the sovereign, the one and only Lord, am saying, you tell them what I'm saying. And this is what I'm saying to these, these elders who sat down, who have built up idols in their hearts. These Christians, let me bring it into, uh, these Christians who come to church, I'm just being honest today, who come to church and listen to the preaching and they think everything's okay when in reality, God is not on the throne of their heart. You tell them that I am a sovereign Lord. And he says this. And you tell them, turn back and leave your disgusting idol. Because I'm sovereign. Now, we got to embrace that. What, what does it mean to embrace? To hold closely in our arms. To accept willingly and enthusiastically. To include or contain as a vital part of our life. There's only one place in my heart, and his name is Jehovah. And finally today, we embrace to break this spirit of unfaithfulness off of our hearts and our lives. We respond to the jealousy and the zeal of God over our life by embracing the faithfulness of God. Everyone say he's faithful. Oh, my friends, let me read something to you. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23, verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. Now, pause. Everybody look up at me. You know what he just said there? Because of the jealousy of God, because of his love, his zeal for us. That's because we're not consumed. How many of you know he could, he could fry us in a second? How many of you know we deserve to go straight to hell? But because of his mercies, we are not consumed. Through his mercies, because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. And then he says this. Great is your faithfulness. You know what that word faithfulness in the Hebrew means? Great is your fidelity toward me. You are not running. I'm God. You know what the writer of Lamentation said? God's never going to run around on you. His compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is his fidelity toward you. It makes me feel good. Then he says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Now, he's faithful. In fact, if you were to fast forward to the end of the world, how many of you know planet Earth is the shortest time you'll ever live anywhere? We're the terminal. We're, uh, planet Earth is terminal. You just got to understand that. We're on a mission here on planet Earth, but planet Earth is terminal. We will never have heaven on Earth. Heaven is not on Earth. And my Bible tells me in Romans, pardon me, in Revelations 19, when heaven is rolled back like a scroll, he will come on a white horse. And his name is faithful and true. 
He will always be faithful to us. And if we want to break this thing off, We've got to embrace the command of God. We've got to embrace the love and jealousy of God. We've got to embrace the sovereignty of God in our life and embrace His faithfulness. Hold it closely. Just like Joshua said in Joshua 24, when he said, if you want to serve these other gods, you can do it. But as for me and my house, We're going to serve the Lord. I want to close with a story that changed my life back in my early years of pastoral ministry. Had a young man and his wife in our church. God was really working in their life. He had a grace on his life to be a teacher. He was a great Bible teacher. In fact, at one time he was one of my elders in my church. Just a great young man. Taught me how to bass fish. Taught me how to throw that little worm out and set the hook. And I was his pastor. He was growing in the Lord. And then he got a job at a restaurant and they wanted to transfer him to another of the restaurants kind of far away. And I didn't feel good about it. Nobody felt good about it, but he did it. And he got off there and got away from his ability to really stay faithful to church. Working on Sundays. Listen carefully. And he had an affair with an employee. And it just wasn't a fling. It was a tangled up heart. He fell in love with another woman. It was traumatizing. They had a little adopted daughter because they couldn't have children. And it was a mess. I tried everything I could do. And it just wasn't happening. And after a season, I just kind of pastorally said, I've done everything I could do. God help them. And one day in my office, I get a call from this man's wife. She is wrought. Because now not only does he want to leave her for this other woman, but he wants to take their little daughter and integrate her into this adulterous affair. And her jealousy just rose. And she said, we have to talk to you right now. So they came into my office and they set the little girl out and they always set her out in the office and they came in and here they are sitting in two corners. And she just unloads. And I could see the jealousy of God over her life. She is, she's had enough. And the righteous response in me, I got so angry picked up my Bible and I stood up behind my desk and I just started in and I said, listen, if you don't stop this, that little girl out there is going to grow up one day and she's going to tell you both just where to go. I promise you. 
I slammed my Bible on my desk. And I said, that, my friend, is why God hates divorce. And he jumped up out of his chair. And he came towards me. I thought, he's going to hurt me. And he grabbed the phone. And he dialed the other woman. With tears running down his cheeks. He said, don't ever call me. Don't ever. I will never speak to you again. I love my family. I love my wife. And it's over. Do you hear me? Wow. And in one moment, listen. In one moment, he chose to make a change who was in charge of his life. They both began to cry and weep. I began to weep uncontrollably. Then finally, when we gained our composure, I said, are you serious? He said, I'm serious. I'm getting my family. I'm moving back to Arkansas. I'm getting away from this mess. I'm starting over. I said, are you serious? He said, I'm serious. I said, I'm going to bring your daughter in here. You tell her. She come walking in innocent as the driven snow, pure as the driven snow. I said, tell her. He looked her in the eye and he said, we want you to know that your mother and I, we are never getting divorced. We are not. She whirled around, looked at me with a big smile on her face. And said, I just knew God was answering my prayers. And what I want you to know today, whatever the idol, you can choose today, just like my friend did. And say, today, this idol's coming down. It's a choice. That's all it is. Who's in charge? Let's stand together.